there was, I saw my brother shooting heroin in their veins. And I remember that, you know, just how they show it, depict it. And I thought, I was, I was a guy who was running from needles. So when the nurse came to give us shots for different things and tetanus, I was the guy who they had to, they had to grab and hold down so that they could give me what was something inherently good for me. And so there's no, no way I'm going to do some shooting up. See, some people find peace in drugs and medicines, and some of you have even struggled with some kinds of prescription addictions. You know, you got caught on it just because what it brought some temporary relief. And so what, what happened is after a while, we're beginning to look to those things. And we really have to battle to hold that, that our peace, we won't find it in anything else that, that is here. I want to have you turn to Zechariah chapter 1. We did a little study on Wednesday night, and um, partially because we were there on some parts of this. I want to tell you when it comes down to the caring of God, is that the sermon title today is called From Insanity to Serenity. Okay, from insanity to serenity. So while you're turning, finding Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 1, um, I just call your attention to the bulletin. Several scriptures down there that I may or may not go into today. But look at the questions at the bottom. What is the most insane thing in your life right now? What's the most insane thing in your life right now? You know what I mean by insane. It's not controlled. You're con- it's, it's controlling you. See? Maybe it's a situation that's totally out of control and you can't do anything about it. No matter how hard you try. No matter what you put into it. So what's the most insane thing in your life right now? And then the second one is, how do you find peace? Or do you? You might find peace in alcohol. You might find peace by smoking a cigarette. <sighs> oh, what peace. And you think you have peace, but that's really killing you, isn't it? Been there, done that, candy, what is it, eating things? Is it just being busy that you find your peace, or do you? And the last one is, what is the most difficult part of making peace? Making peace. What do you think I mean by that? Making peace. So... Let's read here in, in uh, there's some interesting things that, that kind of goes from, how many of you know a little bit of the story of, of the Old Testament? Jeremiah 29.11 is, is a lot of people's favorite scripture. And in Jeremiah 29.11, it says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. And that's cool, and most people leave it there. But then it says something unique which talks about why they're in the situation or about to be in the situation that they're getting into. He says, you will... Find me when you search for me with everything you've got. Now, I'm telling you, this is down the road in the history of of humanity and of Israel specifically, because when God first said in Deuteronomy, you'll find it, it says that you must seek after the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And here we are now removed by hundreds of years, and, and all of a sudden, here he's saying that God has a plan for you to give you a future and a hope. And says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with everything you've got. If we found him, if we have him, why would we have to search for him? So it's kind of giving you a clue that God has a plan. There is hope, even though this calamity is about to happen in your life. And you brought it upon yourselves because I warned you. Moms and dads, you ever tell your kids that? (laughs) You're just getting what you got coming to you. I told you this is what was going to happen. 
So what happened is God had been warning, and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, all prophets who were bringing warning to the people of God, saying, you better get your act together. You better start adhering to and following the commands and the statutes and the precepts that that God has laid out for us. This is how you ought to live your lives. Well, oh, how history repeats itself. Because here we are that all these times, what happened is Jeremiah was announcing to him, I'm the last guy, I'm it. What's going to happen is you're going into captivity. Forget your your wonderful, blessed country. You're going to be tore out of there. It's going to be ripped out of your souls. And you're going to be deported. And you're going to be slaves in a foreign land. And by the way, anybody who is left, we're going to bring our own people. We're going to rape. And we're going to intermarry. And we're going to change the very nature of who you are in this country. They became known as the Samaritans, by the way. So when Jesus, and you pick up in the New Testament, here you got these, I'm going to call them half-breeds. They're not full-blooded Israelites. When, before they entered into the promised land, God says, when you go into this land, they've got all kinds of their own gods. You've heard of them, the Hivites and Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amalekites and all those ites. They all got their own gods. And he says, don't you even think about intermarrying. Don't think about marrying those people because what happens is they will pervert you with their own gods. And you'll abandon me. And there's consequences for abandoning me, he says. Guess what they did? And so here's the deal. It's almost like the Babylonians, they take on this this idea. They took that and said, hey, that's a good idea. When we deport them, the way to really mess with somebody's identity is to have them that they've got a half-brother and a half-sister and uh, this here. And they've got all this mixed blood. And they're mongrels now. And they're not Israelites any longer because... We've intermarried and we've, we've messed that up and they've lost sight of who they are. How many of you have had identity problems in your life? Do you know why? Because somebody tried to cast you in a certain type and to make you something that God didn't intend for you. And so there's a restlessness in that. And the pursuit of peace is that God brings restlessness so that you'll seek peace. And the problem is, is that people, instead of turning to God, what they do is they try to find peace in their own way. And so what we get is that's where you get religion. You get people who are going around like zombies. They're walking dead. They're not alive in Christ. And sometimes, folks, those who've been made alive with Christ, we're still walking dead. What is that? Because we need to be transformed right here by the renewing of our mind. And so what happens is here in Zechariah, it picks up, and, and I want to just read through it because this is, this is, a, this is just the icing on the cake. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet. Let me tell you what Darius does. Darius orients us in the time that is historical. The Bible is not just a bunch of mishmash. It's not a bunch of fables. It's not a bunch of of fairy tales that have been brought together and told in some compelling way to try to manipulate people. Instead, it's a historical book that actually tells the history of God interacting with his people from the very beginning, that we're here because he designed it that way. He created us. So what happens is Darius tells you, and in the second year, in the eighth month of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, a guy who really lived, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. 
But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to do in us in accordance with our own ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. So here they are, they're, they're in this place where they've been in exile, and God's saying, hey, I have a plan for you. Jeremiah said it, I'm gonna, this captivity will last 70 years, and I'm bringing you out of that captivity. Wow, I hope you're not old when you're taken into captivity. See what I mean? Because that means you're going to die a prisoner. God has not desired that you would die a prisoner. He wants you to live free. So there's the plan of man, and there's the way that we want to live our lives, and then there's the plan of God and the way he wants us to live our lives. And if we'll live our lives in accordance to his plan, we'll find the peace of God that will pass, surpass all of our circumstances and trials and difficulties, even our own understanding. And so, did you catch that? Thus says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts. There declares the Lord. That's just the first part. So here it is, history repeating itself. Some of us, we have, I tell people all the time, you can learn, you, you don't just learn from the good. I've sometimes found that I've learned more from the bad. I've learned of how not to do things. So on one hand, I'm learning how to do things, and then I can look and see, and sometimes I think I'm pretty, you know, um, what's the word I want to use? Uh, I don't want to say clever or smart, but I think I'm pretty observant. And I've got a pretty good gauge of common sense. And so I look at it and say, hmm, my brothers are having to eat cigarettes because they're caught smoking. That must not be a good thing. So if I don't want that kind of treatment, I shouldn't probably smoke cigarettes. Never had to eat a cigarette because pff, not for me. Now, I snuck around in a cornfield one time, took two puffs, said, <coughs> if this is cool, I don't want any part of it. See? Bless God for that. I know for some of you smokers been smoking for so many years, it's hard for you. And I know that you're, you're trapped by them and you're imprisoned by them, but you don't have to be. I just want to tell you that you don't have to be. Stop telling yourself you need this. Stop telling yourself that this is just a, it's my way of relaxing, of dealing with the stress and anxiety. And God says, hey, put that cigarette down, that stogie, and grab this cross. That's what he says. Take up this cross. So, he says, did not my words, I liked what he says there in verse 5. That's where Dr. Phil got it. Where, where are your, where, your fathers? Where are they? How's that working for you? How's that working for you, your grabs, your, your measly little grabs for peace? Doing everything you possibly can in your own strength to get a hold of peace. Well, then it goes on from there. And this is where it's coming to this, this weird thing that's going on that somehow God's perspective is a little different than our perspective was. It says, keep Verse 7 now says, on the 24th day of the 11th month, okay, how far away are we now? It was the 8th month, now it's the 11th month. Okay, that's the way sometimes time goes in the Bible. All of a sudden, the next, next, next verse is three months away. Okay, be careful how we treat the, the Word of God as far as, you know, confusion, okay? It's not confusing at all. He just says there's some stuff that happened that this is what God chose to give us. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which, which is in the month of Shebat, in the second year of Darius, same year, same guy, Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, as follows. I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine, with red 
sorrel, and white horses behind him. What's sorrel, by the way? Or sorrel. It means light tan. Got an orange cast to it, almost a redhead, like me and Vaughn. But it would be a tan horse, okay? So you got a red horse, a white horse, and you got this slight brown horse. Then I said, my Lord, what are these? Principle of Bible study. We talked about Wednesday night. Uh, Many times the Bible will answer the questions that it poses for you. So if you're saying, hmm, wonder what those are there for. Guess what? Just keep reading. It says, and the angel of the Lord who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. The original police force from heaven. So they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. Don't you love it when people declare to you that everything's going to be okay in the midst of your calamity? Don't you love it if they throw a scripture at you somehow? And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Okay, thank you for that. It's not. See, it's, I'm embroiled in this thing. I'm in pain. I'm hurting. I'm confused. I am, I'm, I'm doing everything possible outside of what you're telling me and what I know I should be right now. So you mean they've been patrolling and, and behold, the earth is peaceful and quiet. I want to tell you, I'm going to answer that question here shortly. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these 70 years? wait a minute, I thought everything's peaceful and quiet. But, but Lord of hosts, you haven't been showing any compassion. It's like you've forgotten us. You've been indignant toward us for all these years. How, is that, how can that be? The Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, proclaim saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations who are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again Comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. What he's saying is, I told you, I have a future and I have a hope for you. In my realm, as they patrol from my vantage point, everything is peaceful and quiet because I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know when I'm going to do it and I know how I'm going to do it. And I may or may not reveal that to you. I ask you to look to me to trust me. Oh, by the way, the enemies, they thought they would take advantage of the fact that I was allowing some stuff in your life, and I'm not happy with them either. I was a little angry with you, but boy, am I really going to come down on them. Do you see? So God says, he who is your defender says that don't worry about that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't have to take those matters up into your own hands. Give them to me. Trust me. I've got a plan. And it goes even 70 years into the future. And I can say even beyond that, thousands of years. So guess what? God's got, we know it most, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard it before. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who 
is to come or will be, all of those things, he says that he was there in the beginning, he's there in the middle, he'll be there at the end. He's the constant. He's the constant that we seek. He's the constant that brings peace into our hearts and into our lives. So here we have in the narrative from Zechariah, we have this peace that's supposed to be going on, but there's a rebuke from God because the people, they they thought they were living their lives, they were doing very well, they were farming, they were going through, they were making buddies, they were fighting wars, all this stuff, calamity going on around them. And yet from the Lord's perspective, patrolling the earth, he sees everything as peaceful and quiet. It's not on the earth, it is in his realm. Guess why we need to invite him into our situation? Because that's the imparter of peace. That's where we, when we invite him into our lives, that's where we finally find peace. See? So guess what it is? Is when you do what Psalm 4610 says, which is, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It's one of the first ones I ever got. Somebody knew me enough to say, this is what you're going to need, boy, all the rest of your life. Be still and know that I am God. Well, but, but, uh, be still and know that I'm God. Well, what about the injustice? What about all these things that are happening? I am very angry, in verse 15 it said, with the nations who are at ease, for while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Here's what happens is, never take somebody else's calamity as an opportunity to go ahead and kick them when they're down. That's exactly what the phrase is talking about, is that the people had done to these nations that had despised Israel. Remember, God was going out fighting on their behalf. Walls were falling down without them. Waters were piling up with with the command that, that God gave. So they couldn't have that kind of power. So at some point when all of a sudden it seems like, where is your God? He says, oh no, I'm still watching. I'm watching over my word to perform it, and I'm about to show back up. And guess what? Some of you I'm just going to wipe out. But I'm going to once again favor and choose my people. So let me tell you that as a child of God, God says, I'm going to favor you. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to watch after you. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to be the one to promote you. We recognize him in it. Let me ask you a question here, which doesn't mean you're drunk if you know this answer. How many of you know the uh, serenity prayer? Let me see your hands if you know the serenity prayer. Okay? You really know it? Okay? Go ahead and uh, let me have maybe four of you who want to take the risk of seeing if you really know it or not. Come on, step forward if you think you really know it. I've got $20 to the person who actually knows it. Okay, I don't have 20 yet, but I'll, I'll give it to you. Who knows it? Come on. I just want four of you. If you got to know it. You got to be able to recite it. Ready? Let's let's see. Well, I won't call you a know-it-all, even if you do. That's okay. Give me the serenity to gently forget that I can, and the grace to accept the things that I cannot. To change the things that I can. The courage. That's okay. That's okay. That's like naming the Ten Commandments. Most of us would fail that little. Go ahead. Everybody, you tr- go ahead. Come on. I'll come back there. Wait a minute. Ah, this isn't by community, and don't be on your smartphones, cheaters. Did you cheat already? No, it's not on your phone, is it? 
No, I'm just checking. I, I think I know. As I recall, that God granted me the grace to speak up and take up my pen and not be judged for something that I didn't even know that I was supposed to do. That's pretty close. That's pretty close. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Somebody who knows that, that, that prayer. Marguerite saying, don't call attention to me, Joe. Boy, you, she's ready to smack him upside the head. But that's okay. Do you know it, Marguerite? Somebody else? Because I've got to move on. Let me come over there. Yeah, here's the deal. I had to repent. When I read this, I had to repent. You know why? Because the world sold us a bill of goods. AA is where we usually hear that most, and you buy the little things. I have one somewhere in this church. There's one hanging on a wall. And you know what? You're real close. But you know what? The world sold us short. It sold us short on the serenity prayer. You know why? Because in some way, nowadays, AA accepts that there's a supreme being. But they don't really confess God much anymore. That's about the closest they come is with that serenity prayer. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to hand it out to you. So you'll have it after this. And from now on, you'll be rich because you could get $20 next time that question comes up. I'm telling you, unless you're really good, you're a really bad alcoholic uh, and really good Christian, you wouldn't have come to know this because I'm 51 and never saw that whole prayer. That's just like this much, and then there's this much that's not in there. There's a whole bunch of the prayer that's not even in there. So I'll give that to you shortly. That's not meant to embarrass. You did a fine job, Joanne. I hope when I get to your age that I'll be able to remember what you remember. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's part A. I'm going to share with you part B later on. Let me have, if I could, some people to help me with these handouts real quick. If you don't want to fill in the blank, then um, get over your bad self. They're pretty simple, but yet somebody needs to, to know them. So... Um, here you go. Anybody want to help in the middle here? Main thing is I put the scriptures down for you. Some of them will be on the wall. But, but in doing this, what we're doing is, you know, we talked, Kevin, he did an insert last week. We used to do inserts all the time. And what people started doing is focusing on filling in the blanks instead of getting the truth. So I know you'll wrestle with that. But what I like is if the message is that important, we ought to give it to you in a format that you can actually take, meditate upon, and see the answers to, especially if you're struggling. Amen? Well, let's pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, I pray that even as we uh, go into this level of your word, we've got as laid down a little foundation is people who knew and yet didn't do it, and so they ended up in captivity. They ended up in bondage. They ended up, God, in, in, in living with the, the foreign influence, really, that they had to submit and subject themselves to the, that culture. And isn't that kind of what's happening nowadays? Is that the culture's taking control and, and it's, it's beginning to happen all over the world? And yet, God, there are huddled masses all over the world gathering sometimes in, in, in churches that, God, um, are people who know the truth and want to walk after that. And, God, that we want to be pleasing to you. So I ask you, Father, even as we move forward here, that you'll open up our understanding to your word. You'll help us at... God, we'll have peace that is a profound peace. 
that people would, would look at us when calamity is, is, and everything else is shaken all around us, and they're going to say, you have this profound peace. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you about that. And we thank you, God, for anointing our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, peace comes, the first one on there is, is that peace comes when we realize or embrace that every problem, difficulty, or crisis has a good purpose in God. See, because if you believe in the sovereignty of God, or if you don't, you're in trouble, but if you do believe in the sovereignty of God, what that means is that he's in control. We sang that song last week, I think, didn't we, Kevin? God is in control. Well, if God's in control and some calamity happens in your life, guess what? He's not like he's only the God of everywhere but there. He's the God in charge of all of that. Now, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Because good people sometimes don't respond to God in the way they need to respond when everything's going so good. That's how that dispersion and that's how captivity happened. That's how bondage comes. Because we get complacent in the midst of our blessings. And we begin to forget God and we begin to fail to do the things that he told us we should do in the first at the beginning. So, the scripture is Romans 8, 28. So, peace comes when we realize or embrace that every problem, crisis has a good purpose in God. He either caused it or he allowed it. If you don't believe that, read Job first two chapters. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I'm going to tell you, every person in the room, no matter where you're at in your walk with God or knowledge of God, you have a purpose in God. Hello. That's why you're here, and you may not be, listen, I'm not really trying to pursue that. That's okay. God has a purpose for you. You've been called according to his purpose. So he's going to work together, whatever it is going on in your life, for good. Just hang in there. Be still and know that I am God. Next one. God expects us to live in peace. He expects us to live in peace. So I gave you a reference there I didn't put on here. I'm using, I'm sorry, I did on this one. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Spotless and blameless tells you how you can also be in peace, by the way. If it remains spotless and blameless, it means you're not guilty of something. See what I mean? Guilt usually robs us of our peace, doesn't it? Romans 12, 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody or be at peace with all men. God expects us to be at peace. So when you got calamity going on, you might say it's their fault. If you're, if you're, you're sharing in that, that calamity, you're at fault too. Takes two to tango is what mama used to say. Peace comes when we decide to serve God with everything we've got. Sometimes I get calls for benevolence from people who don't come to church. I don't even know who they are. They're just names, right? They're their pastor and my grandma and she had to have surgery and I had five teeth pulled without medicine yesterday and my daughter has got this this limb that's just hanging there and I've got to drive all the way to Cancun to, to get her some treatment. And I'll be like, wow. And we have no, and what's your mother's name? Hubbard. We have no food. And can you help? And man, you know what? My heart goes out. Some, some real good stories sometimes. Sometimes they sound really true and they might be. And so I say, Lord, 
I don't want to have a hard heart toward this. So God, what do you say? What do you want me to do? I try to talk to them, interview them. I try to find out what's happened. Why is this going on in their lives? Because we don't have an endless resource of money, and I don't believe in the, the Robin Hood story. I don't think that we should take from those who are doing the things that they ought to do and managing their lives well, and we ought to give it to people who are lazy and not doing anything and who are reckless with their lives. My job is to help you not be reckless with your life, which means being a good steward, which is what God calls us to. So I get a chance to talk with them a little bit. But one of the things is that, so here this is always a convicting scripture. So it says, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but look at it. It says, if a brother or sister in verse 15 is without clothing in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Peace comes when we decide to serve God with everything we've got. You know how I evaluate a need? Is this a matter of food and clothing? Or is this a matter of, I took a $100 gift card for Kroger to a man. Do you know what he did? I watched as I, I just hadn't gotten away. I was on the phone. I was sitting across the street. You know what he did? He went from his street right here to the convenience. This is on the island. You know, probably a little place over there. Went from his home. Walked over here, walked back. He has three kids to feed, he says. Guess what? If you tell me you got kids, I'm even more inclined to do something. Hey, if they're messing with me, if they're cheating the church, then that's between them and God. But I'm going to try to help. Saw the man walk over to the store, and I, I was on the phone. I'm talking all this time, and then I saw him come back. You know what he's carrying? 24-pack, whatever the blue box is. No bag. Nothing else, just a 24-pack of of beer. Okay, now, I gave him a Kroger card. Here's how I reconciled it. He didn't use that Kroger card over there, I'm guessing. I don't know how he could. So he took his other monies and he did that. You know, I get people who want gas, and and so I'll I'll get gas so that they can get to work. Why? Because I believe in work, and and I'm going to trust them that they need it. So I'll give them gas money. Do you know what they do then? Potentially, they buy cigarettes or they buy beer. So I gave them whatever I gave them allows them to spend their money on something else, potentially gambling. Let me ask you, dear brother, dear sister, do you need clothing? Do you need food? Is your your electric going to be cut off? Why haven't you been paying your bill? Talk to me. If you're serious about wanting help, I'm serious about wanting to help you because you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach him fish, you feed him for a lifetime. I don't want to just give you stuff. It isn't, I need to teach you something. I want to help you to, to grow beyond this place. Peace comes when you decide to serve God with everything we've got. Folks, it's especially important that with the family of God and the family of faith is that we, we assist you and we help you because we've got some level of accountability. We've got some knowledge within the body of Christ. That's why I try to encourage every person we help and I can tell you, out of 100, we've, we've probably had one or two who show up at church. I try to get them into a fellowship. I try to get them because that's what my mandate is, is to take care especially of the flock of God. So when we're hurting, if you ever are in that place, you can find that I'm going to find a way to help you, if not from the church personally. Why? Because I want to see you rewarded for your faith, for being diligent with doing what you can do. I want to assist you so that, that you'll, you'll have peace in your heart and you'll know about victory that's in, in God. 
But you can't do it your way and expect to win it. You're going to have to do something different about your life. Amen? That's the insane part, expecting something different from doing the same thing all the time. The next one is peace that you pursue. There's a peace that you must pursue. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It says, verse 19 of Romans 4, uh, 14, 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Said somebody, they keep telling me about this calamity and they've got these relatives and these friends and, and relationships and all it is is constant fighting and bickering and there's, there's no peace. Do you know what I said? Reconcile with them. So much as it depends on you, be at peace. But if you can't reconcile with them, you might have to sever that relationship because it's not God-honoring and it continues to sap you of your vitality and what God has for you. And they may just be a big block of ice that you're exhausting your passion and fire for life and your zeal. And here they are. That's not your fault that they're not the ones who are picking it up and running with it. We saw something the other day. What was the stat, Joel? Do you remember? It was one in, you're one in 400, what was it about creation? He's not in here right now. What was it? Okay. Baby, that's what he'd be doing. 400, 400 trillion. You being born on the time with all the characteristics, everything about it talks about the intentionality of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are his works, and he established them in that very second that you were born. See? The probability of all that was like that in, in 400 trillion. Pursue the things which make for peace in building up of one another. What's that got to do with it? Is it, listen, you've got a short time, and you've got to make a big impact for the kingdom of God. That's what he has for you. And you can't be wasting your time on the people who want to waste your time. Do you want to grow in God? Do you want to go somewhere to honor God? Do you want to live a valiant life? Do you want to be courageous? Or do you just want to whine about it all the time? See, there'll be people there who are going to, let's, oh, there, there, let's just whine. Let's just, uh, just, oh, it's okay. You don't have to do nothing with your life. You can end up being a nobody. You can just be on welfare all your life. There, there. Hey, take responsibility. Come on, man, let's get with it. You got gifts and talents and abilities. You got a call, a purpose from God. Let's get a hold of it. Hey, that's truth, isn't it? Oh, I don't like the idea of casting somebody off and saying they're not worth something. Folks, sometimes it's an observation. That's not a judgment. You can see it in somebody's life, can't you? Now, if they've had some hardship, that's what we're there for. We're going to boost them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to come alongside and, and we'll do it 70 times 7, which means however many times it takes. But if they're not willing, guess what? We can't deliver somebody from calamity or insanity into serenity or into peace, can we? There's peace that you make. That's Matthew 5. You guys knew that one already. Blessed are the peace makers, for they shall be so- called children of God, sons of God. So there's peace that you make. Sometimes in the midst of a bad situation, you have to, have to come over. During elections, there was a lady here whose pastor she absolutely hated. And she left that church and she hated. And in a room of seven other people serving during doing this, she was doing railing against the pastor continually. And finally, I came in with this ways to pray for your pastor pamphlet, which is out on the, the hallway wall. And I said, sweetheart, 
I said, I'm sorry that you've been so wounded by a pastor, but I, I be one. And so when I hear you talking like this, it breaks my heart. And I'm just going to ask you to turn your heart and begin to forgive, even if they never ask for it. I'm going to ask you to forgive them. I'm going to ask you to, to stop, because when you rail against the pastor, you're railing against God, because that's what King David recognized. Far be it from me to come against the Lord's anointed. I don't know how anointed he is, but he's here, and I'm guessing that must be God, because otherwise God would take the fool out of here. Hey, folks, we're not blameless. We didn't got it all straightened out. We were pretty much like some of you before we got saved or called. So I just said, stop it, please. Have you talked to them directly? And the answer was no, and they don't intend to. I said, well, I don't intend to listen to you continue to rail against somebody who is a pastor. I don't think it's appropriate. And if it was a brother or sister in the Lord, I don't think it's appropriate. So stop, please. Here you go. By the way, I did that all privately in the kitchen. Though I felt like I should have been because she was doing all this public ranting in front of everybody. I felt like I should have done it in front. But I was gentle. Went and took her back. I hope that that does it. I hope she's praying for that guy. Guess what? I'm sure he needs it. Peace is imparted. Second Thessalonians says, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Peace is imparted. What's that do? Be still and know that I am God. In the midst of that calamity, God will come in, and all of a sudden, Pastor, I just felt this tremendous peace sweep over me. How many of you can say that? You've been in a situation where all of a sudden this peace just came to you. How many? Go ahead. Let me see your hands. Yeah, that's a true statement. And that's what he does is he imparts it. We didn't do anything different. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We just got still. We weren't manipulating things with our mouths or with our hands or with our feet. He just brought this incredible peace. It's one of the ways that you know to progress or to proceed from that place is the peace of God. If you don't have peace, you don't go there. Don't do it. Peace can be multiplied. That's as simple as Jude says in verse 2. It says, may, the, uh, may peace and love be multiplied to you. If you read the Bible, sometimes it'll tell you these truths. Peace and love be multiplied to you. What does that mean? Is, is it what you sow, you reap. So when you sow peace, you're going to reap peace. See, if you sow discord, guess what you, you reap? What's discord? It's a half a chord. Discord is unrest. Discord is calamity. Discord is contention. Discord is somehow come over to my side. Be on my team. We're against him. He's out of here. Yeah, dysfunction. It means it's not the way things are supposed to work. How about the last one? It says, peace that the world can't give. Peace that the world can't give. Jesus says in John 14, 27, he says, my peace I give to you. He says, me from heaven, divine, I give you peace. He's saying in the world, you'll have all kinds of calamity, but, but fear not, I've overcome the world. See, so peace that the world can't give. Does everybody have all the blanks filled in? Got to look at my notes then because I'm at the end. Oh, I'm sorry. That's in the wrong place. But is that the one that says peace comes when, uh, when we take the initiative to serve God and people? I'm sorry. To serve God and people. Oh, I'm sorry. To honor. 
honor, honor God and people. I see it now. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. See, no matter what we look like and how it is, is I've got to look at you and think not you're your young whippersnapper. What I've got to look at is realize God's got the same kind of purpose and plan for you, and you were birthed with His image. You, he's got a design for you, a destiny for you, a purpose for you, just like He does me. So it doesn't matter what you look like or your age or where you're going in your life or what you've done or the sins committed or what your dreams are. I've got to recognize we've got a brotherhood here. We've got something, a commonality between us because we're both on this journey. And we happen to be occupying a similar space right now and time, though mine is less than yours. And so the idea is, is that's how I can become a friend to him. That's how I can welcome him into my life is because I realize that I can honor him no matter what his condition is, no matter what he's like, doesn't matter. I can honor him because I recognize the common bond that we have. And you're here today seeking after God, and I'm a pastor seeking after God, and so that makes us on the same kind of journey too. And so what you'll find is when you do that and you honor people, it's, not regard- it's irregardless of what they look like. It's irregardless of what their social status is. It's not about how well they pray. It's not about, about how spiritual they seem. It's not going to be with what kind of car they drive or house they have or the clothes they wear. It's not going to be a matter of how white their teeth are. See? It's going to be a matter of how buff they are spiritually. It's going to be the fact that you'll recognize them and see them for what they are. They're a kid just like you are. We're all children on this journey, and that's how God says we ought to come before Him. We've got to access Him by faith as a little child. So sometimes we just get too smart for ourselves, don't we? Well, go ahead. Let's read it together. You've got it there, the full serenity prayer, and you'll see why I had to repent. Ready? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as a pathway to peace, taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that He will make all things right if I surrender to His will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with Him forever in the next. Amen. There you go. How many of you never knew that part existed? Do you understand why it doesn't exist in the world? Because that explains the first part. Without the second part, you can't really possess the first part. That's why alcoholics are taught to tell, probably if you're in the room, my dad was. Um, he was. He was told that I'm once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I'll never have victory over it. And man, I'm saying the Bible says different. The Bible says you can have the victory, the victory of the cross. You can have victory over that. But it's going to come the same way as any other victory. It's going to, become, it's going to come through him. And though this world is what it is and calamity is what it is, Here's the deal. I'm trusting that he's going to make it all right as I surrender to his will. Wow. Folks, when somebody starts telling you, well, I just prayed this morning, God, grant me the serenity. Say, go ahead and say that whole thing for me, would you? And when they stop short, grab this out and say, can I share the rest of that story with you? Folks, it's a great opportunity to witness about the power of God, the peace of God that will go beyond the circumstances. If you want real serenity... Embrace the rest of it. Amen?
Let's prepare our hearts for communion this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because they're going to serve. I'm asking them to serve you this morning. So we're going to serve them first so that they can help us, okay? Here's what Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 says. Christ himself brought peace to us. Is that going to be up on the wall? He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Wow. Did you hear that? That hostility put to death. God wants you to put hostility to death. He wants you to look inside of yourself this morning and say, am I hostile? Am I hostile? Sometimes I'm hostile toward God. Sometimes I'm hostile toward family. I'm hostile toward husbands, wives, children. I'm hostile toward somebody. That's why I don't have any peace. So God, would you forgive me of my own hostility? I'm hostile. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because what Christ has done for us. Folks, we practice what we call open communion, and that is, is that it's, 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 a, it's a cracker uh, or bread, and it's a, uh, a cup of juice, grape juice. Now here's the deal. That's what it is. I don't care what church you go to, it started out as some product of man that we put together in, in some tin to, to, to hand out. They even have little manufactured cups. You just tear the plastic off the top, and then you got the juice there underneath that. Let me just tell you, that's all it is unless Christ is Master and Savior. Now, He's boss if you make Him boss or not. The issue is, is He boss of your life? That's a decision only you can make. Is he boss of my life? Folks, if your life is filled with calamity, if your life is filled with turmoil, if you're fighting and bickering, and you can just read Galatians. It talks about the enmity that exists, bitterness and envy and jealousy and strife. If that's your life, you're in the wrong kingdom. The way you make it right is by saying yes to Jesus Christ. And what will happen is, as you pursue him, as you pursue peace, as you employ these things, even the little notes I gave you today, the Scripture, what will happen is he'll impart peace to you. You'll become a peacemaker. You'll be one of those who begin to, to enjoy that you'll see it multiplied to you. you. As you pursue it, what you'll find is you'll begin to reap what you sow in your life. Come away from that calamity. Come away from all that which has been reckless living and reckless choices and the pursuit of the pleasure of the flesh. And embrace the cross this morning in a fresh way. And then what happens is this becomes the body. And this becomes the blood. And the body which was broken. The only way you can change your life is by living a broken life. Because when you're broken, he says, I'll come and fix you. If you'll humble yourself, he'll exalt you. That's what the Bible says. 
That's his promise to us. The world doesn't say that. The world says you can't let them see your weakness. You get the lie? It's obvious to everybody who's been saved. We can see darkness, can't we? So, folks, the invitation is for you. If you've never given your heart to Christ, if you never said, Jesus, come into my heart, I want you to live. I want you to thrive. I want you to be master and savior. Then that's our next order of business. Before we do anything else, is there anyone in the room that if you died today, you don't know where you go? Heaven or hell? Death is certain. Heaven or hell? You know where you're going when you die. If you don't know that answer, that means you need to accept Jesus Christ. Because with that comes the assurance. Anybody? Has everybody made that profession? You're not sure you have. We're going to pray that. There's one. Who else is going to be honest and say, I don't know. I've been living a religious life. I've been going to church, been going through the motions. But boy, I don't have the peace. Who else? Maybe you just fell away. Maybe you just drifted. Maybe you think that, you know, Christmas and Easter, and that's two times you go to church. I'm telling you, that won't get you to heaven. Nor will 52 weeks of church attendance get you to heaven going to be that you you literally bowed your life and said, man, I'm a mess, God. Come, please, into my heart. Change me. We got two or three now. Who else? Is there somebody else? It's rededicating your life if you've been away. It's a prodigal coming back. You wondered if Jesus would, would welcome you, and I'm telling you, he does. Anyone else? Let's pray that right now, then. Here's what he says. No matter what way, it's not the preacher's words that's going to do it. It's going to be your own. So when I pray, I'm going to ask you to make those your own words, folks. Because it's as simple as this. that He says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, we were vile. We were disgusting. Christ died for us, for you. Those who raised your hands, he died for you. And so because of that then, this love that he, he died because he so loved you, that he gave his own life, his own son, for you. When you didn't deserve it and you didn't do anything to get it, that's how great he loves you. And because of this great love, you shouldn't live your own life anymore. You should live a life for him. And so then he says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Saved from eternity of separation from him. Saved from hell itself. He says... Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody gets to heaven except by me. He makes it painfully easy for you and me when it was painfully disgusting, shameful, humiliating for him. But that's what, that's what he did. He made it easy for us. And so then he says, if you'll repent, which means I acknowledge my sin before you, God, And folks, I would ask you to prepare your hearts for communion. You can join in that because more than likely, you did something wrong this week. Huh? Did you sin this week? You may not be aware of it, but once we ask the Holy Spirit to come and say, how have I sinned against you, God? He might say your attitude, that look, the unforgiveness. What about this situation going on? What about the the fact that you're not a peacemaker? You're, you're a gossiper. You've been gossiping. You've been rumoring. Well, he says, 
God, I, can, I admit I'm a sinner. That's, the, that's for, for those of you who want to invite Jesus Christ into your heart this morning, you utter those words with the rest of us. It'll be lost in that sea, but it's direct communication with God. You know, I just want to confess that I'm a sinner. Let it be an audible voice, folks. Don't, don't, come on. We got people who need salvation, and they're going to ride on our coattails this morning as we pray. They pray with us. I'm looking for, to, for you to join with me that, that I'm a sinner. I've sinned and committed sins. I ask your forgiveness, God. I acknowledge that, that God, I can't make my own peace, that, that I need the peace that comes from this relationship with Master and Savior Jesus. So come into my heart, Master and Savior Jesus. Just invite him. Come into my heart, Master and Savior Jesus. Save me and deliver me. Deliver me from my own calamity. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, I welcome you into my heart today, into my life, and I want you to be my Lord, my boss. I want you, God, to direct my life. I want to live my life for you. Just like the song says, I'll live my life for you. Hallelujah. The Bible says that once you made a profession of faith, it says that when you do this, you will be saved. I don't understand all that, but I know that there comes a heart change. It's something you have to begin to possess is what's happened right now. You responded because you had a conviction of of that doubt in your own life. So now the conviction comes which says you've got, you've got Christ in your life and the conviction should be that I need to live a life that is holy and sanctified and set apart for Him, for His glory. That I no longer live my life for myself but for Him, Christ, who saved me. Hallelujah, Jesus. So now it's called open communion which means if you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, then you're welcome no matter what denomination, whatever background you come from, you're welcome to come in and receive communion with us. And what will happen is this amazing mystery of faith, they call it, where he takes this and when he lifts up on the night that he was betrayed, it says that he lifted up this, this, this cup and he says, this, this, uh, this bread, he says, this is my body. He said, which will be broken for you. No, uh, dude, that's just a piece of bread. He says, no, no, you're not getting it. This is my body, which is going to be broken for you. I'm telling you something prophetic that this is a, yes, this is a piece of bread, but this is me because I'm about to be taken captive. They're going to arrest me and they're going to beat me and they're going to strip me and I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. I'm blameless. I didn't do anything to deserve it. And that's what they're going to do to me and I'm going to allow them to do it to me and I'm going to even die on a cross, a bloody mess, because I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it so that you can live. And mama, that's what you would do for your kids. Or would you? Okay, where'd you get that from? I'm telling you, you got that from Him who is love. God who is love shows us what supreme love, no greater love has anyone than this, that He lays down His life and He calls us friend. You don't deserve it, but He made it to where you're worthy of it because He's worthy. So Jesus Christ has paved the way for you and He paid the price and He gave you a ticket to heaven. And He said, when you tried to pay, make a donation, He says, no. He'd just live your life for me. Folks, that's what he's done. And so as we, as we grab a hold of this, Mars, would you hold this for me? I sometimes, I deal with, come on up. 
I sometimes deal with people that they'll look at it and they'll say, Pastor, this is just bread. This is probably even stale bread. I suppose we're supposed to do something with unleavened bread, Pastor. And I'll say, you know, get over yourself, will you, please? Do you understand that even the unleavened bread, that was symbolic of having no impurities in it? Do you understand that that in itself was symbolic? So in other words, when we're using bread this morning, it's symbolic. It's, it's not what the bread is here. It's, it's what you do with it. It's the act of faith by which you're going to receive it this morning. That's what makes it significant, important. Otherwise, it's just some, some figure on the, on the back of the wall. I grew up in a church where I was a little altar boy ringing bells and washing priests' hands and doing things to serve that, and it never made a difference in my life. It didn't bring me from sin. It didn't keep me from chasing after girls and stealing and lying and all the other things I did as a young man and then continued on as a, as a, as a, uh, a young adult and even as a papa. Wow, it's when I had the revelation of Jesus Christ and what this, this communion really means. Communion is that when we partake of this, we're saying, Jesus, I receive and acknowledge that you died for me so that I might live for you. And you spilled your, bo- your, your blood And your body was broken, and you did it for me. For me? So he says, I'm going to do this kind of different this morning. This is what I do. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it. And he says, this is a cup of my blood, which will be poured out for you. It's going to run all over this wood, and it's going to run all over the rocks at the foot of this. It's going to run down my body. It's going to fill my own eyes with my own blood. I'll be able to see the very thing which, which I'm bringing salvation into you. Take and drink. This is a cup of a new covenant in my blood. Things are going to change, Jesus says. You just wait and see. Thank you, worship team. What about us, Lord? Here is the body of Christ. By faith, it's the body of Christ. of my righteousness poured out for you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Receive. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Let's do this. Let's have uh, you come down to this side. We'll bring two of you over into the middle here. We actually need one more thing of bread. We'll solve that right here. So we're going to ask you just to come down here. You guys come down to the left over here for Joseph, and uh, and here we go. Our process. 
Great is this mystery of faith, which has been declared to you today. And in your hearing is the whole plan of God. Amen. Come forward and Kevin's.